Matthew 21, beginning at verse 23. In the Church Bibles, that's on 989. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time came, approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw, and took his, so they took him, and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because of the people held that he was a prophet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. 
He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited do not deserve to come. So go into the street corners and tell, invite the banquet to anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. We have a beautiful saviour who alone can rescue us. He comes from a generous God, for our God is love. And we love that, don't we? I wonder, does God expect anything from us, this God of love? And when he doesn't get what he expects from us, do you think his patience would ever run out with us? Do you think it could be possible to miss out on his kingdom? I want you to see tonight that Jesus exposes and condemns these leaders. It's about them. But I want you to see it's about God as well. It's about God's grace, how generous he is, how determined he is to have a people for himself. And I want you to see too that it's about us. And this God expects things of us. Well, the leaders come to Jesus and they ask him a question. You see there, verse 23, by what authority are you doing these things? It's a fair question. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He deliberately chooses a donkey and that says, I'm the king. The crowds are saying, he's the king. And then he storms into the temple and overturns the table and drives out the people buying and selling. Fair question. By what authority are you doing these things? I wonder, though, too, with these leaders who are indignant, who know it is against them that he does these things, I wonder whether it's not so much a question as an accusation. You have no right to do this. Well, I asked Jesus a question, and Jesus does that really annoying thing of answering a question with a question. Young people... Do your parents ever do that? That's really annoying, isn't it? Teachers do that to you too, don't they? It's a good strategy, actually, for teaching people, isn't it? But it's really irritating when adults do it to adults. Don't you think, adults? Especially politicians. Just answer the question, we say. Jesus here seems to be rather annoying. He answers a question with a question. 
I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, John the Baptist, when he called you to repent, John's baptism, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? They discussed it amongst themselves and they said, look, this is tricky. If we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? If we say from man, we're afraid of the people for they think he was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And that is a bald-faced lie, isn't it? It's clear what they think. They think John's baptism was not from God. Otherwise, they wouldn't have believed it. But they are just too plain spineless to say it. Do you think they should say it if they really think that John the Baptist was not from God? Imagine if there was, there was a, a, a new a new teacher in our church who was teaching false teaching, who was saying that Jesus is not the only way to God. What do you think I should do as the minister? If I'm convinced that he's wrong, but three quarters of the congregation think he's right, what should I do? Be afraid and keep quiet because of the crowds? Of course not. But that's exactly what they do. Jesus exposes them here that they are spineless and they've rejected God's messenger. Jesus turns it back on them and exposes them and then he condemns them. He tells this really simple story. This is not one of Jesus's famous stories, is it? The father and the two sons because it's pretty boring, it's pretty straight. The father has a vineyard, he wants his sons to work and that's what you want to do, get sons and get them to work. And so he says to them, go and work in the vineyard. And the first one says, no. But then he changes his mind, he repents, that's what the word means, and does it. The second one says yes, wants to say the right thing, but doesn't do it. Which one, he says to the leaders, actually did what the father wanted? It's obvious, isn't it? Nothing tricky here. The guy who actually did it, even though he didn't say so at first. What matters, this story says, is actually doing it, even if you don't say so at first. And what's the story about? Well, this is the leaders, isn't it? They say that they obey God, they will do what he says, but when John's messen John the messenger came along, they refused to believe him. That was exactly what God wanted, that they would believe his messenger. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they said no to God with their words and their lives, but John the messenger comes along, calls them to repent, and they repent, they change their mind and do what God wants. Do you see how Jesus exposes them and then condemns them? Verse 31, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. You might think that's not so bad. I mean, once you're on the cruise, who cares who got on first? The entering thing is not the important thing. But imagine if I said to you, the pedophiles are getting into heaven ahead of you. That'd hurt, wouldn't it? Jesus is condemning them here. And this is bad news for the leaders. But gee, it's good news for sinners. Can you see that? The tax collectors, traitors, cheats, the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God. What does that say to you? We have a God 
who is extraordinarily gracious, who loves to give people a second chance and a third chance, a God of forgiveness who sent his son so that he could forgive you. There is no one beyond hope, no one whose fate is hopeless. That's good for you and I, isn't it? And it's good for the people we know. Well, Jesus is not finished with the leaders. He's already exposed them. He's condemned them because they rejected God's messenger. And now he exposes them and condemns them because they're rejecting God's son. So Jesus tells two more stories. And they're good stories, aren't they? Do you see it there in uh, end of 21 and chapter 22? Uh, there's the vineyard where the wicked tenants reject the generous owner the owner is generous he's got some land he sets up the whole thing just right he plants the vineyard he builds the wall he builds the watchtower he's got it all set for them and then he rents it out and no wonder he expects some fruit in return and what do the tenants do they are wicked tenants imagine some of you who've got an investment property imagine tenants like this they don't want to give any of the fruit they don't want to pay the rent and when the messenger turns up to get the rent the fruit they beat them, they kill them, and they stone them. I mean, you'd be going to the ombudsman, wouldn't you, at that point? And then the generous owner sends more messengers. He's naive and generous. And they do the same to them. Then he thinks, you know, I'll send my son. I'll take a risk. Surely they will respect my son. And the wicked tenants, in some bizarre crazy logic that shows their complete selfishness and immorality say let's kill the son and then we'll own the vineyard which i don't think makes sense but their rejection of the owner is that good they want the benefits but not the owner and it's so bad that jesus actually asks the leaders what the owner is going to do to them Verse 40, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And the leaders say, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time to ride. Then there's a king whose son's getting married and he wants to throw a wedding banquet. And the people who he's invited already and have agreed to come, he wants them to come. So he sends out his messengers and says, it's ready, come. But they refuse. So he sends more messengers. And this time they either ignore the messengers or they kill them. When they've been invited to the wedding banquet of the king's son. Can you imagine that with a royal wedding? What will the king do? He will come and destroy them. Now, these are not just random stories, and Jesus doesn't need to tell them who's who in the story. In the Old Testament, the vineyard is a symbol for God's people. The wedding banquet is a symbol for God's kingdom. It's obvious, isn't it? The owner, the king, that's God. The tenants and the wicked guests, that's the leaders. And Jesus, again, is exposing how generous God is and how wicked the leaders are not just killing messengers, but now they're going to kill the son. 
And Jesus wants them to know, it's not just how bad you are, but you see what God's going to do to you. It's not just that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting in ahead of you. It's worse. God's going to destroy you. God's going to destroy your city. And God's going to give the kingdom to someone else. Do you see that in verse 43? This is huge for the Jews. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. It has always been theirs. It will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The news couldn't be worse for these leaders. But it's good news again for someone, isn't it? It's good news for Gentiles, for not Jews, for people like you and I. It's always been God's plan for us to be included, for us to be invited in, and now the time has come. For God's people, the Jews have rejected, and now it goes to everyone. The good and the bad are invited in. Do you see how Jesus actually does answer the question? By whose authority? Well, I'm the son. That's why I've got authority. And you've rejected the messengers, and now you're rejecting me, and you're going to cop it. And the leaders get it. Do you see there in verse 45? They're not confused. The parables don't throw them off the scent. They get it. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And when they hear him talking about them, about to kill the son, actually in the parables, they've killed the son. And that's exactly what they're planning to do. They see it about to happen, do you see, like in a movie, a flash forward. And what do they do? Pull back? Repent? When Jesus shows them? No, verse 46, they looked for a way to arrest him. God generously shows them more the evil that they're about to do, and they do it anyway. This is a hard part of the Bible, uh, not because it's hard to understand, but hard to know what to do with, don't you think? You and I are not in the story. It's not about us. You can tell because it says that explicitly in verse 45. It's all about us them the jewish leaders and so i've been wondering this week well what's the point of this what am i going to tell people on sunday what's the take-home message what's the application it does help us with a couple of questions like i wonder if you've ever wondered or someone has asked you if jesus is really supposed to be the messiah that the jews were waiting for well why didn't they believe him i mean that doesn't doesn't that undermine the whole thing well, a lot of Jews did, actually. The early Christians, a whole lot of them were Jews. But a lot didn't. Why? Because for centuries, they had been rejecting their messengers. It's just what you would have expected to happen, and now they reject the Son. What do you make of the Jews today? Are they God's holy people? Is Israel the holy land? Should we protect it and keep it away from the other residents as much as possible? No, you see that in this passage, don't you? The kingdom will be taken away from you. 
your city will be destroyed and you will no longer be God's people and this will no longer be God's land. The disciples are listening to this, I think, and they figure they're going to be the servants who go out now to invite everyone in, both good and bad. And how does Matthew's gospel end? With Jesus telling them to do that. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're continuing to do as we connect and share Jesus with people. They're not God's people. It's not God's land. But it's not just about them, is it, this passage, actually. It's about God. And you see in this passage that God is extraordinarily generous. He gives a vineyard. He invites to a wedding banquet. He wants to have a people who are his special people. And he is so patient with them. He sends messengers after messengers when any normal person would have given up. God is so loving and patient. But his patience does run out in the end. He expects fruit from his people. He expects his people to listen to his messengers. He expects his people to respect his son. And when they do not, his patience runs out. But even when it does, he is so determined to have a people that he starts again. Isn't that good? It's about them. It's about God, and it's actually about us. There's that really strange bit at the end. Did you notice that, if you were still paying attention? The really strange bit about the guy with the wrong clothes on. Who gets thrown out? Do you notice that bit? Verse 11 of 22. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is bizarre because the king really wants people at his wedding banquet. Remember, he was determined. Invite everyone, good and bad. And then someone turns up without the right clothes on and he kicks them out. My son got married at the end of uh, last year. And uh, thankfully, no one turned up to the reception in the wrong clothes, whatever the wrong clothes might be. And so I wasn't tested in this regard, but I don't think I would have chucked them out, especially tied them hand and foot. It's strange, isn't it? What's going on here? Well, it talks about wedding clothes, but actually there wasn't a special wedding clothes to wear in the first century, just like there's not really today. You're just supposed to dress up aren't you? More likely, the man just didn't clean his clothes. He turned up in ordinary clothes and he didn't even bother to wash them. So imagine for a moment if someone had turned up to my son's wedding with thongs and shorts and the painting shirt he'd been in all day, which was really sweaty and smelly. How would I take that, do you think? Now imagine I'm a king. My son's a prince. How would I take that? You, can, you see, you can reject you can reject the king by not paying the rent. You can reject the king by killing his messengers. 
You can reject a king by killing his son. And you can also reject a king by just not taking him seriously and not respecting his son at his wedding banquet. And in this new stage where Jesus' disciples are sent out to invite in everyone, good and bad, and the disciples go in, go out and invite everyone, it's possible, it's possible to presume on God's generosity to hear the invitation of Jesus, to respond with enthusiasm, to turn up, if you like, but to presume on that generosity and not actually do what God wants. What does he want? He wants people to listen to his messengers. He wants people to listen to his son. He wants people to produce the fruit of the kingdom, living for his son. He says in verse 43, I want a people who will produce its fruit. And a person who does not produce that fruit is not part of his people. God is full of love, full of generosity. But he does have expectations and his patience does run out. And so as we point the finger, as the passage does, at these Jewish leaders, exposed and condemned by Jesus, we need to then point that finger back at us and ask this question. Are we a people who are producing the fruit of the kingdom? Do you believe his messengers as you read them in the Bible? Do you believe his son as you read him in God's word, even the parts that you don't like? Will you go on believing them and, and honestly dealing with your doubts, which we all have? Are you hearing his call to repent in every area of your life, in your relationships, in your work life, family life? And are you turning back to him all the time, producing fruit? The leaders show us it's possible to be invited. It's possible to be religious. It's possible even to be a religious leader. But reject God's son and not produce fruit. Wouldn't that just be the greatest tragedy in the world? To miss out on God's wedding banquet. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so extraordinarily generous and patient with your people. We praise you for your generosity and patience with your people in the Old Testament, sending so many messengers, sending John the Baptist and still sending your son. Father, we praise you too that in the end you have expectations you expect fruit and your patience rightly does run out. So, Father, we pray that we'd be a people who really produce the fruit of the kingdom, believing in your messengers, believing in the Son, and living it out in our lives. Help us to see that and to do that day by day. Amen.